everyone, I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight. We're so glad to have you tuned in to today's program. We appreciate those who listen by way of radio on the Go Mix Radio Network, others that perhaps listen through Facebook or some other social media, our podcast. Let me just remind you, the Pathlight podcast is there for you to listen to. Likewise, or and there's also an archive there of many of our older programs if you'd like to tune in. Thank you again so much for being with us today. Today we're going to be discussing the subject of are you qualified to be married? And you say, well, of course I'm qualified to be married. I've been married for a number of years and uh, uh, been married for 20, 30 years. Or maybe we just celebrated our 50th anniversary. Are you qualified to be married? You say, well, that's kind of a, kind of a dumb thing to ask someone that's been married as long as I have. But in reality, I do want to take a look at that today, and particularly if you're a young couple and you're contemplating marriage, I want you to listen very carefully also. Are you qualified to be married? If you're able to look at your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Hope you'll stay tuned for today's, uh, for today's program. Right now, music with the Dosses. dads have worked for many things then they die they praise their God above for their children and their lives but somehow we miss the mark we forgotten to pray but we must get back to the old-fashioned way
for our scriptures today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7, where I'd like to read to you if I could. The Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. What would it be like today if you had to qualify for marriage? Now, I'm not referring to being of legal age or obtaining a marriage license or standing in front of a pastor or a magistrate or something of that nature. What if being a husband or wife was like meeting the qualifications for, well, something important? Like maybe an important job or applying for a loan? Well, you say, well, marriage is far more important than any of those. Yeah, but we honestly have to qualify more for those things than we do for being married. Now, I know it's silly and nothing like that would ever happen, but it's something, something to ponder. If, if someone placed you today, if you're married, under the scrutiny of a marriage competency exam, how would you do? Guys, do you qualify to lead a family, to be a good father, to be a good leader in the home? Ladies, do you qualify to be a true helpmeet uh, for your husband and a good mother for your children? Now, the closest thing we probably have to making sure you're qualified uh, to be married would be premarital counseling. But honestly, after doing that for years, I've, uh, well, I begin to understand that it's mostly a collection of meetings to rubber stamp the inevitable. The young couple may be trying to listen. They may be trying to apply the things you're saying. They may be as sincere as they can be, but the outcome is already predetermined. Pastor, thank you for all your counsel, but we're still getting married on the 24th of June or whatever the thing may be. Uh, so so it, it's kind of a rubber stamp. Uh, I, no one has ever uh, left one of my premarital counseling sessions and said, yeah, I think you're right, Pastor. We're going to wait a few months even though there's been many occasions when that would have been prudent. I'm not seriously, of course, suggesting a marriage competency exam, uh, but I am suggesting we all need to give more attention to what it means to be a spouse. After all, it, uh, it, is, a, it is a lifelong commitment. Now, I'm not speaking about marriage dysfunction among non-Christians this morning, although I know there are some non-Christians out there that may have some very good marriages, and in some cases even better marriages than some Christians have, and I say that uh, certainly to our shame. But there's still something missing in your life if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. There's something missing in your marriage, and I would encourage you to receive Christ. But primarily today, I'm referring to those who are born again. I'm talking to God's children. Those who say God is their Lord and King and they're willing to, well, to do anything to please, to please Him. This is a general assumption that you know how to be a husband and a father if you're a male. And, of course, if you're a female, then you automatically, internally, just know how to be a good wife and a mother. It, it, just, it just comes natural. Well, that's maybe what they say, but that's obviously not true. Let's look at what Peter has to say about marriage again as I read that verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, I, I want to focus in on that one word. Ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. The word knowledge. Well, it means 
precisely what you think it means. This is not the word we associate with knowing someone in a physical relationship. This is the Greek word gnosis, which means to have a sense, uh, to have sense enough to understand them. It means you seek to have a deep desire to know what makes them tick. Husbands have a do a study of their wife. I want to know what makes you happy. I want to know what makes you smile. Uh, do you understand your spouse? In this case, I'm asking the husband and the wife. Do you understand the person you married? Do you take the time to study them so that you might better know their needs and their wants and their pleasures and their fears and their deepest thoughts? And, and, and the, this knowledge is an ongoing process. It's not just once. Yeah, I got to, got to know a lot about her uh, before we got married, back when we were 18 years old. But, uh, but well, but people change. We change as we have children. We change as we grow older. We change in, in life. So maybe the needs and wants and desires and, and fears have changed over the years. So you have to always be studying your mate to make sure you're meeting, you're meeting their needs. Now, part of this understanding is accepting the fact that, well, let me go ahead and say this. You married someone who has damaged goods. How well do you understand this? If you don't understand this concept, uh, you're going to really mess things up, okay? Because it is a biblical concept that your wife married someone who's already damaged, and you married someone who's already damaged, so you've got to work within the framework of those parameters. The first time we were damaged was at our birth. We were born corrupt, bent towards sin, tempted to fear, covered in shame, a part of a fallen human race. Yes, your wife was born the part of a human, of a fallen human race, and so were you. We came into this world already messed up. We entered the world, husband and wife, man and woman, messed up. Yeah, you married damaged goods. Nobody gets a free pass on this one. We all came out of our mother's womb speaking lies. We were totally depraved, the Bible says, sinful through and through. We've got to understand and accept this. How comfortable are you helping your spouse overcome the damage they received at the hands of Adam and Eve? Because your spouse, because your spouse is a unique individual, how discerning, how knowledgeable are you regarding the specific and particular ways or peculiar ways that your spouse has been messed up by the fall of man? You see, everybody comes out of the womb messed up. But listen now, nobody comes out of the womb messed up the same way. Though we're all depraved, our fallenness manifests itself differently. Your spouse is unique and needs individual discipleship to become Christ-like. And God calls you to discern where your spouse is and help bring them from that point to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. My little children... Paul would write to the Galatian believers, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's Galatians 4.19. Paul was in anguish as he thought about how best to help the Christians of Galatia. He wanted them to get to the place where there was a mature formation of Christ in them. Now, I think most Christian parents understand this when it comes to their children. I want my children to be conformed to the image of Christ, and I want to do everything I can to help them do so. I'm, I'm going to read Bible sto stories to them. Well, I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to carry them to church on Sunday school uh, because I want to see Christ formed in my children. 
But oftentimes, we don't think about this regarding our mates. I want to do everything I can as a husband to make sure Christ is better formed and more maturely formed in my wife, and she needs to do the same for me. We both need it. Many many folks spend a lot of time thinking and worrying and praying and fretting over their children, hoping there'll be, forming, there'll be a forming of, of a mature Christ in them. But I wonder again how many spouses spend that kind of intellectual energy, that type of that, that much prayerful energy, thinking about how to help their spouses to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But that's a job we have to do. It's a responsibility. The biggest problem, perhaps, that hinders this kind of humble discipleship is a person's breaking of the two greatest commandments, love God with all of our heart, to love our neighbor, love others. Likewise, it's hard for some partners to put their spouses before themselves. Too many marriage partners demand what they want while downplaying or ignoring their role as a servant. And nothing's going to sabotage a marriage quicker than selfishness or self-centeredness. And that often comes up in marital counseling. And what is the problem? Well, well, he's just self-centered. He wants things his way. Well, what's wrong? Uh, What's going on in your marriage? Well, she's just self-centered. She's selfish. She wants everything her way. Selfishness is contrary to the gospel. The gospel teaches us. How to set aside our desires to help someone else who needs that kind of help, to help another broken person. This concept is what Christ did, and it's what he expects us to do. This is made very clear in Philippians 2, 3 through 7, where it talks exactly about that in relation to Jesus Christ. Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem other better than themselves, looking not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men." Well, if, if, there's, if there's ever been a selfless act, that certainly was it. Jesus Christ leaving the very throne of glory to come down to this earth, to dwell in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be crucified, to be spat upon, to be beaten, to be rejected, and yet he came down here for our benefit. And certainly that leaves us as an example, particularly as a husband, as a husband that we should do that for our wives, and wives should be willing to do that for husbands. You cannot fix your relationship in marriage without God. No matter how loud you yell, how much you demand, you just can't do it. Because just like you, your spouse was wholly and utterly broken down by Adam, and she or he needs your help to overcome that. Because we complete the other. Remember, we're one flesh now. We're one flesh. My wife is my completer. I am her completer, if you will. We, it's a pre-existing condition. Everyone has this. Someone else caused a lot of the work you have to do, and I'm referring to Adam and the fall of man, but getting angry about the state of your spouse is not going to fix anything. Understand, he or she was damaged by birth. But next, we were damaged by the world. There's a possibility that your spouse had terrific parents, grew up in a near-perfect setting, 
Even so, the world damaged your spouse. We're all subject to negative influences. There are those things that happen to us that shape us into the adults we are today. And sadly, most of us who came into this world already damaged by Adam incur more damage by the nonsense that comes into our lives through living, living on this sin-cursed world. Typically, the negative influences in our lives are more significant than the positive ones. The condition of the human race is bent towards selfishness. We've already talked about that. But common types of shaping influences are sometimes sometimes it was their parents, distant or angry dads and demanding or distracted moms. Most of us did not have horrible backgrounds, but we were damaged nonetheless, even in subtle ways. By our peers, those we called our friends, those we hung around with, people that we worked with, they all helped in many cases to damage us. I'm not saying everyone was a negative influence, but normally there are more negative influences than positive ones. And our kids are no different. No child is going to get from birth to marriage without being messed up in some way by the shaping influences of the world. It's just not possible. We're sinful people living among other fallen and sinful people in a sinful world. And, and, and we see sin everywhere. We see it in our TV shows. We hear it in our music. We, we see sinful. Uh, we, we're prone to sin through our friends and our peers. We're tempted by things and material things in this world. We're living in a sinful world. And on top of that, there are demonic influences whose main job is out there to destroy young lives. You have about as much chance of taking a swim and not getting wet as you do not being shaped adversely by our corrupt world. The nature of sin, the tactics of the devil are not going to give anyone a free pass. And by the time you get to the marriage altar, there's double damage. You were damaged by birth, by being part of a fallen human race, and you're damaged by the world that was there to there to drag you down. You know, one of the things Sherry and I used to pray for our children when they were young is that they would marry someone who would lift them up, lift them even higher. We're going to do everything we can as parents to train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and hopefully they will marry someone that will lift them even higher. Lift them even higher. That ought to be the prayer of every parent. But the third thing I want to mention today is many of us have also been damaged by our spouse. You know, oftentimes you are angry at a person you help make. And you're angry at a person that you help to influence their lives to get them to where they are right now. Yes, we've been damaged by birth, damaged by the world, and many of us have been damaged by our own spouses. Damaged by Adam, the world, and our marriage partners. This is common in the first few years of marriage. Most of us were not dwelling together with a lot of knowledge. We were just dwelling together. We paid little attention to detail. For example, in the first five years of most marriage, you know many couples do not confess a single transgression to their spouse or ask their spouse to forgive them for anything. I read a survey on that. I don't remember the exact figures, but it was a very low percentage of married couples that said, you know, we've been married five years. I've never asked my wife to forgive me once. I've never had to go to her even one time and said, please forgive me, I messed up. And tragically, there's a lot of couples that have been married many years that have never done that. But that certainly shows the damage we can do even within our marriage because surely there's something you've done that you need to go to your spouse to and say, please forgive me, I was wrong. 
I was wrong. Now, hopefully, that changes as you mature. Hopefully, you learn to confess your sins more openly as you mature. And, of course, hopefully, you do less that requires seeking forgiveness in the first place as you grow up in Christ. Let me offer you today some ways that you can, I guess I would say, practically apply the gospel to your marriage. And my hope is this might give you some clarity on the state of your marriage today, that if you are still inflicting damage on your husband or damage on your wife because, well, you're unwilling to go to church with him, you're unwilling to pray with him, you're unwilling to, uh, to, to do your job, and therefore it puts a special burden on him. Hopefully this will help us a little bit. The first one, are you open and willing to seek forgiveness when we fail? Are you willing to go to your wife or go to your husband and say, please forgive me? Second, are we regularly, and I mean really daily, asking each other, is there anything I can do for you today? Is there, is there anything I can do to lighten your load? Is there anything I can do to help you? The question is our way of doing a heart check. Certainly it requires a servant to do that. And it requires the other person to be honest, but never taking advantage. Thirdly, we go on regular dates. Now, I know if you have young children and don't have a lot of babysitters around, that might be a little more difficult. But certainly, whether it's every week or every month or, or, or four times a year, certainly go out on as many dates as you possibly can. Next, we talk about our dreams and hopes and concerns for the future. We share these things openly and transparently. Next, we pray for each other. I'm giving you some things today that can help you in your marriage. Next, we show affection wherever we may be, certainly with discretion, but we especially show affection in front of the children. We want our kids know, to know that we love each other, and they all have security in that. Next, we seek to discern evidence of God's work in the other's life and then share what we've observed to encourage them, to say, I see God working in your life. I see that God used you today. Next, we honor each other in public. We don't talk critically about each other. We regularly talk about what God's doing in our lives. We seek ways of having fun with each other. We laugh together. We hold hands, and we do it a lot. We'll let each other know if we observe sin in the other's life so that they can hopefully confess it. We're positive motivators of each other, always an encourager, never a nag. And we never attempt to punish each other when they will fail to meet our expectations because that is going to happen to us all. I think we'd all do well today to follow Paul's example by examining our heart as it pertains to how we think about and treat our mate. So I ask you today, I ask you again today, are you qualified to be married? Are you? It, it takes more than just saying, yes, I'm of legal age and I went and uh, got an official uh, marriage license and, and I appeared before a magistrate or before a pastor and now I've got a certificate that says I'm married and it's been registered uh, uh, with the legal officials. So yes, of course I'm married. <laughs> pastor, I've been married for years and years and years. Well, that doesn't mean you're qualified to be married. It doesn't mean you're qualified. 
And I'm not suggesting if you're unqualified that you get out of the marriage. I'm suggesting if you're not qualified to get qualified because you're able to. You're able to be a good husband. You're able to be a good wife. God will lead you. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and he will guide you into all truth. Remember, husbands, that you and your wife are an example of Christ and his bride, the church. Husbands, love your wives, the Bible says, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, if I were to ask you today, I'm talking about a husband or a wife, are you willing to die for your spouse? I think most everyone who at least has has a genuine love for each other would say, well, of course, of course. If someone were threatening my wife, I would gladly stand up and risk my own life to save hers. And there are many women that would say the same thing and have historically done the same thing. You know, but I found something. It's far easier, I believe, to die for someone than it is to live for someone. Because to live for someone is a day-by-day sacrifice. I've often said marriage is a a 365-day-a-year exercise in forgiveness. That's what it is. Are you qualified to be married? Here's my prayer today. Lord, please illuminate my mind to help me see where I may be failing as a marriage partner. Dear Father, help me to genuinely know my wife. And those things I do not know, please grant me a yearning to learn, a willingness to study. Lord, give me the power to set aside what I want while enabling me to be a better servant and to provide a more Christ-like love and respect for my wife. In Jesus' name. That's something we all need, to ask God's help to help us to be better husbands and better wives. This world needs the example. Your children need the example. Are you qualified to be married? Well, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast today. We, we especially appreciate it so much. Thank you for your prayers too. I've been a bit under the weather this last month or so and uh, thank the Lord uh, feeling much better now and uh, on the upswing, still not quite a hundred percent. You might could tell that in my voice, but I, 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 I do appreciate you tuning in and thank you for your prayers. Well, until next time, this is T.D. Worthington saying, may God richly bless you is our prayer. If this program is a blessing to you, it might be a blessing to someone else. And maybe you're listening on radio and say, I'd like for someone else to hear this. Check out, check out the Go Mix Radio Facebook uh, site. You'll find a copy of the program there. Also, there's a podcast, the Path Like Podcast, and they can listen there. Till next time, T.D. Worthington, God bless you, my dear friends.